Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amanda. Well, good morning and uh, welcome. My name is Darren, and uh, I attend here. I am an ordained minister that's without a call, so uh, occasionally Pastor Sam asks me to preach, and I um, appreciate that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time, and we sit under these words, and Father, I recognize that, um, that we do come this morning uh, from all kinds of different places. Father, some of us have come in this room filled with joy, filled with hope. Um, others of us are overcome with other emotions. Some of us come in here with grief, with sadness, some with fear, some with suffering. Lord, I pray uh, and recognize also that some of us come in here uh, in both of those categories, uh, believing in you and, and loving you and worshiping you, and others of us here, again, in both categories, perhaps, not sure if you're real, not sure if these words are true or good, and not sure what to make of all of this stuff. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in this morning, whether we come here uh, in hope or in despair, whether we come here feeling great or barely hanging on, Lord, whether we come here believing in you or with almost no, or in fact, no faith at all, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we do all ultimately come the same, with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would meet us this morning in this time and place and moment. Would you open our eyes? Would you do a good work? Would you surprise us with your Holy Spirit this morning, we ask uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen and good morning. Um, one of the questions that you might have of, of us pastors and preachers is, how do you decide what to preach on? Right? Like, especially those of us who are not in a series or not in a book, you know, I mean, I, I preach every, I don't know, four months or so. How do you decide what to preach on? And the answer is, it really just depends on how you're feeling. Like if you're busy, you just pick something that you preached really well that people really liked and laughed at before, and you just re-preach it, right? Um, or, you know, but there might be other things that go on as well. And I'll tell you that, you know, this is not the case for me uh, today. That has been the case in the past. Um, you are not getting a recycled message today. This is prepared exclusively for you, only to be found here right? But I probably will use it again if it goes well. <laughs> if you hate me out of the room, right? If you, if you leave and protest, I, I might not use it again. Um, but I want to share a little bit with you of an introduction as to why I think this, why I took the time to prepare this. This is a message that's been brewing in me for about two years. And, you know, as, um, as Christians, and particularly if, if you're in leadership in Christian circles, you know, one of the questions that you should be asking as you try to make questions about things like, hey, what do we teach? What do we preach? What are we doing? One of the questions you, you ask is you ask, well, what is God doing right now? Right? You know, that's a great question, by the way, for your life and your family is ask the question, what is God doing? There's a second question that helps maybe address the first question, show some light to it. And that's the question, what is Satan doing right now? Right? And I would ask you to think about that for just a moment. What is 
When you think of the chaos that this world is engulfed in right now, and you know, I, I think back sometimes with a little bit of PTSD to 2020 and 2021, where I thought, you know, I think we have reached the height of chaos. I think we have reached, you know, the pinnacle of chaos. And of course, in, um, in, in, as it would turn out, you know, as we are on the brink of uh, potentially nuclear war, and, and war with like four different nations that seems to be happening. Did you all know that um, Pakistan and Iran bombed each other last week? Is everyone aware of that, just for the record? So if you're not, that happened, which was interesting. Um, just one time, so it, it might be over. Um, but yeah, we live in a time of, of profound chaos. And I'll tell you that, you know, as I asked this question, what is Satan doing? Uh, one of the answers that that has been particularly clear to me and particularly concerning to me is that there has been, I believe, a satanic effort to tear down both manhood and womanhood in a decisive way. And I believe it's been going on um, at least since the 60s, um, quite potentially earlier than that. Now, why do I say that? Well, a couple of years ago, I discovered a really helpful Catholic resource. I don't have a lot of Catholic resources, but for some reason, the Catholics have figured this issue out, and, and as Protestants, don't have any resources on this yet. If you would like to write one, great opportunity for this. But I started using in my premarital counseling an abridged version of Pope John Paul's lectures that he gave from 1979 to 1984 uh, called The Theology of the Body, where he asks this question, why do we have bodies? What does it mean to have a body? Why are our bodies the way that they are? And he gave five years of lectures. And there are a number of people who have devoted their lives to basically just studying these lectures, which, by the way, is like whole next level. You know, most of us, we preach a sermon and you all forget about it, you know, by the time you're at Starbucks. Um, But to preach something and then to have like multiple people, like their whole soul's focus of their study is, I want to understand this. One of the scholars um, who's devoted his work to understanding these lectures, he made a really, I, I think, persuasive argument. He said, you know, I asked the question, why would someone who's so busy as the Pope, why would he spend five years teaching the same thing and, and going into so much depth? And his analysis, having spent his life studying this work, is he said, I believe the Pope looked at what happened in the 60s, and he said, there is a satanic assault on manhood, womanhood, and human sexuality that is going to destroy our world in ways that you cannot imagine. This is 1979, he said, he's writing this. And friends, it is, it is playing out in ways that I did not expect uh, at all, um, and in ways that are far worse than anything that I could have imagined. I do believe that both manhood and womanhood have been under satanic attack in ways that are... Um, that grieve me. Uh, womanhood, I think, is, is probably under a more profound attack, uh, at least as far as I can tell. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, there's some, like, there's some absurd examples, but I think the absurdity helps put it in perspective. So, you know, I'm on one social media, right? I'm on X. Is anyone on X? You know, big Elon Musk fan, so after he bought X, I thought it was really cool, and you know, I send my buddies articles from it. Anyway, one of the, you know, you learn a lot of like new things on X. And one of the things I learned is that a couple of weeks ago, the Women's Boxing League just approved 
transgendered women, which is, is a person who has been bathing their body in testosterone for like most of their life, as long as they haven't, as long as they've been taking estrogen supplements for two years, I think it is, they're allowed to basically fight physically with women now in, in this particular league. That decision was made. And I don't know if they've had any contests or not. So I looked it up and there's a related, there's a related like kind of a organization called the UFC. And one of their chapters had made a similar decision a few years back. And there was a fight between a transgendered woman named Fallon Fox and uh, a woman who was at the absolute top of her game, you know, in terms of women's boxing type competitions. So I turned on this fight to watch it. You know, I don't really watch a lot of fights and I wouldn't really recommend it. It was a little disturbing. But basically, I mean, this this dude, like, he he was huge. He had a low voice. I mean, he was, I would not want to would not want to be on his bad side at all. I mean, and this lady had been top of her game preparing, you know, had, had won all kinds of competitions, and they sort of wrestled around for a little bit, and he had knocked her out, right? They call it a TKO, a total total knockout in about 30 seconds. And what was interesting is watching the reaction of the referee and like kind of feeling the reaction of the crowd is they're not quite sure, do I cheer for this? Like, what, what, what should I, like, what's the appropriate reaction to this? And finally, the referee did what he's supposed to do. And he says, you know, the winner is Fallon Fox. And he's like, do you have anything to say? And again, this person's got a really deep voice, looks kind of like a dude, mostly, you know, huge, scary looking. And this is what he said. He said, I, I just want all the women to know I'm coming for you. That's why he says, like, that is my message. I want all the women to know I'm coming from you. And, I, and friends, when I watched that clip, it was emblematic to me of, of what I think is happening in, in our world, which is that manhood and womanhood are both under profound satanic assault. Uh, womanhood is more pronounced, right, in, in, in I think a lot of ways. And, and part of what it is, right, is that, you know, it's, it's objectively absurd, it, like, that, that's like, uh, that, that whole, you know, I, I don't live in the worlds of, like, you know, weightlifting competitions and everything, but it's objectively absurd. I, I've been training for the first time in my life, trying to get into shape, so I go to CrossFit, and I have a wonderful trainer. She's been, you know, powerlifting for 14 years, and, you know, she was telling me that she has a student who has only been training for two years, who is now going to nationals, you know, female student, and she's just really exceptional, She's going down to nationals. The whole gym is really excited for her. They're all behind her. And so after the question, I was like, well, how would you feel if she were to be competing against like a transgendered woman? And it was, it was wild because she was like hemming and hawing like, well, you know, like, and then finally she's like, well, we, we all just kind of hope that doesn't happen. And then she said, you know, I have to be honest, Darren, with you. She's like, I study the body. I study nutrition. I study athleticism. I study all these things. And she's like, it's just not right. But she was like kind of like whispering it because in our present day, you're not, I mean, that's kind of like an obvious, like probably a seventh grade anatomy question. <laughs> but like we're not really allowed to say that, right? And why is that? And that's because our world has become so profoundly absurd. Here's another takeaway, again, for the women that is not something I expected, but has absolutely wrecked and broken my heart in a very personal way. So 
One of the things that I've discovered, at least in certain groups of, of kids, I don't know how widespread it is, but, you know, when I grew up, I mean, again, it depends on the group you hang with. Some groups are better than others, obviously. But one of the things that was universal to me is that the boys were allowed to fight with each other, right? But what, what was never allowed was for a boy to go, like, attack a girl. Like, that was not allowed. You weren't, you weren't allowed. Like, if you did that, the, you would get dealt with by the other boys at the school. They would, they would shame you for it. They would, you know, put you in your place. Nowadays, what I've come to find out, in Phoenixville, in the Phoenixville Middle School, in the Phoenixville High School, there is an unforgivable sin, at least amongst a certain group of kids. You know what that is? Where's Connor? Does he know? What's the unforgivable sin? Do you know? It's snitching. Right? So you can, like, you can do a lot of bad things as a kid and be fine with all the other kids. But there's one thing, by the way, just so you know, you have kids that go to, like, to high school. If you are guilty of snitching, like, you need to hire a bodyguard or something. And one of the things that was absolutely shocking to me that I learned in a personal way is that if a girl snitches on the wrong group of people, she will have girls threaten to assault her. And she will have, in some cases, like the biggest boys of the school say, I am going to deal with you. And it is socially acceptable. And, and friends, I say that because um, the way that I read that is I read that as a satanic assault in, in such a way that, that our, our daughters are under threats that I would have never imagined, ever, ever. Now, there are parallels for our sons, right? Our sons face different kind of um, attacks. You know, one, one version is basically a message that says, like, if you're, if you're a boy, you know, you need, to, you need to basically be passive. And, like, a lot of boys are dealing with just a complete and total lack of ambition, um, lots of laziness, you know, addiction to video games, um, other boys are kind of following guys like uh, Andrew Tate and, you know, becoming like abusive men and, and that sort of thing. But our world is in a profound state of, of difficulty when it comes to these issues. Um, more relevant than you might appreciate at the moment, but more relevant to your life is that, you know, I spent 11 years walking with couples in marriage, you know, both premarital counseling counseling during marriage, and then in some cases, counseling after marriage, if marriage has ended in divorce. And I'll tell you that I've come to see that these issues have an unexpected connection to your happiness, right? That like, that in, in actually thinking deeply about these things, you will actually be more happy. This is true whether you're married or not, right? That Thinking deeply about these things has the potential for you to leave this room and experience more happiness, more fulfillment, more relational joy than you currently have. And that's something that's really important to me. So therefore, I picked this, issue, this passage. It does have some things that you might not like, um, but actually I think as we explain them, you might find them to be more likable than at first glance. Um, and I hope that, my hope is that we will, as a community, begin to think more deeply about where it is that Satan is at work so that we can begin to experience God's redemptive and healing power and that so we can actually be happier and more fulfilled.
and that we could be a light. You know, one of the things that's been cool for me since stepping out of the pastorate is that I hang out with non-Christians a lot more, right? Like, I'm, and, and one of the things, just by the way, and I don't know, you know, if you've ever done this, but like, I hang out with non-Christians a lot more, and I basically talk to people about their lives, kind of like pastoring, but I have to qualify it, right? So I was talking to a colleague the other day about life and marriage, and I would just say, well, you know, in the Christian view, like, this is how we think about it, so like, maybe you don't think about it this way, but this is like how we think about it, and how we like do things. And it's been interesting because in some of my conversations, you know, one of the, one of my colleagues, his response as I was just sharing that, and I try to share it in a very like, listen, I don't judge you if you think differently, like, but this is how we think. So just so you know. And he said, Darren, I want that. Like what you're describing, I, I, I want that. So friends, like that was interesting to me because, you know, I do, I do wonder, do we appreciate what we have um, in this tradition? Do we appreciate the riches of what Christ has for us? So my goal is to bless you a little bit. wanted to give you that um, explanation as to why, um, you know, this is important to me personally because I have experienced some of the consequences of this. Um, it's important to me because I do believe that this affects your happiness more than you appreciate um, and I also believe that it's going to continue to get worse, right? It's going to continue to get worse. I mean, if you watch this boxing match, you're like, how could it possibly get worse than this? Or you, you see your children attacked, right, and threatened, and you're like, how could it get worse than this? I was during COVID, you know, in the height of the chaos of 2020 and 2021, but like, I think we've reached the peak, you know, and in, in the economy of history, the answer is no, you haven't. Right? And if you're sitting here thinking like, you know, World War III is going to be the peak, no, it's not. There will probably be, there will probably be more. So let's try to do something different. Let's swim, against, uh, the, let's swim against the activity of Satan and get into this passage, and let's drink as deeply as we can. I picked a really small passage because I knew that I would have a lot of introduction. Um, if you would like, and if the, Sam would like, I would love to give you the other part of this, but I wanted to focus on the smaller part. This part is counseling husbands how to treat their wives. It comes after a, a section of teaching on how wives are to relate to their husbands. That's the, that passage has a lot of difficulty, so, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, don't, I don't feel like I'm quite at the place to address that yet, but would, would love to in the future if you would like that. So, um, Couple of couple of things as we get into this. One of the fundamental points of Scripture, by the way, and one of the keys to understanding this issue, is that God intentionally created the genders to have some differences, right? And again, in our current context, that seems obvious. Yet, like people are afraid to admit that. But that's sort of the whole thing. God says, "My image, in the image of God, He created him." Male and female, he created them. God says, my image is going to be expressed through variety, right? And through differences that expose the genius of my plan and the essence of who I am. And therefore, the scriptures will at times direct us to treat one another and to focus on things that have differences, because that's how God made us, right? So God will give some counsel to husbands, some counsel to wives. Those, 
that counsel often overlaps. In other words, like, you know, women, as you hear the teaching of this passage, like, a lot of this will apply to how you treat your husbands, frankly, right? However, it applies in, in a more pointed way, men, to how you treat your wives, right? So, I, I want to say that as an introductory way um, as we get into it. So, how are we to live with one another, particularly men, how are you to treat your wives? And let's just, there's just a couple points in here that we're going to go through. Number one, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, right? And friends, like, I just want you to think about this deeply. You know, there's memes about this, right? Again, if you were to go onto X, you would see some great memes on this subject. You know, one dude said, you know, I found, finally found the paperback version of Understanding Women, and it was like this big, you know, and um, some really great material there. But this is, um, you know, it's interesting, right, because in my counseling of, of couples, um, you know, during problems, so not like just premarital, um, but during problems, I will tell you that 99% of my counseling basically boiled down to doing one thing, slow down and listen, right? You, don't, you are talking past each other. You don't understand each other. You're not getting each other. So the first thing you need to do is to slow down and listen. And friends, you know, part of why that is, part of why that is, is because God created us differently. Therefore, understanding your spouse actually takes work. It takes effort. You know, it's interesting in Hosea, uh, one of the calls of, of Hosea chapter 4, he says, let us press on to know the Lord, right? In other words, knowing God, who has revealed himself perfectly, who doesn't have communication challenges, who is not at all, you know, lacking in ability to express himself, you have to work hard to know him. In the same way, right, in marriage, you have to work hard to know your spouse, right? It just doesn't happen. You know, you think it happens because, you know, when you're in the, um, like, the dating time, it's so electric, and, you, you know, you have euphoria, you have, basically, you're, you're drugged up is, like, the, the, the sum of it, right? And it's, it's like you're allowed to be drugged up. You know, like, as Christians, like, I don't want you to take drugs, you know, like, uh, psychedelics and stuff like that, although that is a new interesting Where's John? It's a new interesting point of uh, inquiry in some cases. But in largely speaking, I don't want you to be addicts, right? But God and his grace to us, you know, he gives us wine, right? You know, like we have some great bartenders in the church. You know, shout out to our bartenders, you know, who work really hard to give us a great experience um, of enjoyment through substance. You know, but we don't want to be alcoholics. Um, but on the other hand, God says, you know what I'm going to do when you fall in love with someone I'm going to just fill your body with like all kinds of chemicals that are going to make you like on cloud nine. And that's like a gift from God, right? However, it can also, it can also lead you to think, I, I got this. We know each other perfectly. It's fine. And then you get into, you know, year five or year 10 and you're on the verge of divorce, right? Why? His answer is you have to work hard to know each other. You have to work hard. You have to press on. And, you know, marriage is about 
knowing each other in a unique and really a profound way. You know, and it, it, this comes out in the language of Genesis 4. So if you go back to Genesis 4, um, and, and I actually think in general Hebrew idioms are so interesting. Um, you know, when, it, when I was learning Hebrew idioms, I mean, you know, it gives you just an insight into, into how they think. But in Genesis chapter 4, when uh, Adam and Eve, you know, have their first child, what does it say? Does, does anyone remember? Like, how does it describe the act of conception? What's the word that's used? He said, he, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived a son, right? And what it's getting at is that, you know, the essence of marriage is that it is intended to be a relationship that facilitates the most profound knowledge of another human being that can be had because it has the protection of covenant, right? The protection where two people say to each other, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you, no matter, what, no matter how bad it gets, right? And in the context of that, if you have that covenant, you can say, well, you know what? I'm going to expose myself to you I'm going to show you the real Darren. And, and when you do that, right, when you say, like, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to work hard to know you, and also I'm going to work hard to be who I am with you, and when, when you are in a relationship with someone where you feel seen and loved at the same time, it, it actually comes close to the endorphins of, like, you know, the honeymoon phase. Right? When, you, when, you, when you have a person say to you, I see you for who you are, and I love you, it is, it is like nothing else in this world. You know, Hagar, it's interesting, she describes God in this way, actually. You know, she's kicked out of the family. It's a real, there's so much scandalous stuff in the Bible. Like, we should do a sermon series on the scandals of the Bible, Sam. You would, pro- you would probably be against that. <laughs> it would go on forever. You know, Sam would have no interest in this whatsoever. Um, but there's all these scandals in the Bible. I mean, this lady, Hagar, right? Like, she was just like the servant, you know? And then she got brought into this weird poly, polyamorous thing. Like, I mean, it was so messed up. And then they have, anyway, and then Sarah gets upset at her, kicks her out. She's like now homeless, right? And with her son. And meanwhile, the other family celebrating their son. It's so messed up. It's so problematic. But God reaches out to her, and he says, I just want you to know I have a plan for your son. And she says, surely you are a God who sees. She's like, you see me, and I'm visible to you. And so the first thing here, and this, again, is directed towards the men, and this is going to come up, by the way, men, in my talk on Saturday. By the way, men, if you're not registered for my talk, I really, I really want you to be there. I'm, I'm going to take off the boxing gloves, so we're going to like beat you up a little bit but it's going to be awesome. So shout out to that. But um, anyhow, the, the, the first point here, by, uh, friends, is that it says, husbands, understand your wives, right? And, and that's going to be, by the way, a building block to having a, an absolutely spectacular relationship. But also, what we're going to talk about on Saturday is, men, how do you lead your homes? One of the one of the ways that you lead anyone, whether you're leading someone in the work context or leading someone in, you know, a ministry context or leading someone in a, in a marriage context, one of the things that facilitates trust is someone saying, I feel like I can trust you because I feel like you know me. I feel like you care to take the time to understand what I think and who I am and, 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 and what things that I'm concerned about. 
So that's the first thing that Peter says. He says, you know, husbands, like, first thing you need to do is you need to get your wives. You need to work hard to understand them. All right, that's the first thing. Second thing, what does he say here? The second thing you need to do is you need to honor your wives. And this is where women, like, you might get offended by this. I hope you don't. But it's, what is it? it says in here, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, what does that mean? Um, there's been a lot of ink spilled on this. So some people say, well, obviously, like, women are in general, like, less, like, have less strength than men or whatever. And, you know, that is true, by the way, as my trainer would say. She would say that, you know, it's, it's not fair for uh, a female athlete to power lift against a male athlete if they've been training for the same amount of time. Um, she would say that. Uh, on the other hand, some women are physically stronger than some men. I mean, my trainer's been powerlifting for 14 years, can lift a lot more than I can uh, at the moment, I'll be honest. Um, so, I don't, but I don't think it's talking about that. You know, um, how do we know what it's talking about? Some people use this language of like fine china. You have to be careful with fine china. I don't think it's talking about that in this context either. So, if you go back and you read the previous passage, which again can be, you know, is filled with a lot of questions and stuff that I would like to address if you'd like me to in the future. Um, but what it describes is it says, you know, when a, in a Christian marriage, when a woman marries a man, what the woman is saying is, I am going to enter into a relationship of profound trust with you, whereby I'm inviting you to lead me, right? And by the way, we're all in relationships of either leadership or following, right? So for example, like, you know, I used to lead a church. Now I, I follow the session and I say, hey, you lead and you tell me what you want me to do. And, you know, like I used to preach whenever I wanted to. Now I preach when invited, which is, you know, um, at the session's pleasure. And so I've been in, I've been in both, both sides of things. But when you, are, when you are in any relationship of following someone, you were putting an enormous amount of trust in that person, right? Whether it's a work relationship, you know, you know ministry team, um, staff, uh, but there's none of those things compare to the kind of trust that you place in marriage, right? And this is, this is more pointedly so in the, Christian, in the Christian tradition for women than it is for men, right? So in the Christian tradition, when a woman marries a man, she is saying, I trust you to lead our family, and I will, I'm on board with that. And friends, you know, like, I've thought about that for, I've thought about that deeply, um, and that's, to a degree, a position of weakness, right? Just structurally speaking, when you are the one who is trusting others to make decisions, and, uh, you know, when there's, when there's disagreement, right? Like, for example, if you're a member of this trust church, like, you're, tr you're trusting the search committee basically to find your next pastor, right? Like, that's, you know, like you're trusting those people to present to you a candidate that you can vote up or down on. But for all intensive purposes, like they're going to pick the next pastor. That's what it is, right? Likewise, when there's, you know, decisions to be made in the church, like you're trusting the session to make those decisions, you know? And um, most of the time, you know, by the way, most of the time in any healthy organizations, you agree about 98% of, deci of decisions, right? So like when I was serving on the session, I mean, we had 98%, I think, unanimous votes. We like 
hardly ever had disagreement, and that's normal and good and healthy. And like in your family, like most of you probably find that. You say like, we generally agree on like most things, you know, but there comes situations, there arises things sometimes where you're at an impasse, you know, like for example, I mean, you know, you're pastoring a church during the coronavirus and you're like, well, what do we do? We're going to anger this group of people if we do that. We're going to anger this group of people if we do this. What do we do? And the answer is you make a decision, right? And you move forward. And you are not going to make everyone happy, but you are called. If you are a leader, you must make a decision. You cannot leave it to others. You have to decide. We are going to move forward in this way. And you work, I will tell you, right? Like, by the way, if you're, you know... Um, when you're in leadership and you get this and you get that you are there for people's joy and you're there for people's health and people's vitality, it's really tiring after a while. You're just like would love for someone else to be in that position, right? You don't want to be in that position. You're like, I'm tired of like angering someone no matter what, right? In a marriage, you know, and again, I don't, I don't want to offend any of you, but, but this, is, this is the Christian teaching, right? In the Christian teaching, God always values structure, Right? He doesn't believe in co-CEOs that like, never works in the business world, from my perspective. Right? It's a great way to create a failing business. He says, listen, there has to be structure. He does it in Israel. He does it in the church. He does it everywhere. He, if you cannot have, we will be unanimous or we will do nothing because decisions will come across your desk that saying we do nothing is a decision in and of itself. Right? And if your structure is we just, we just agree or we do nothing, you are, you are creating bad leadership, right? And it won't work, right? And it's not an option in, in any group of people. It just does not, it does not fly, right? And so God has created structure where he says, listen, men, you have to take responsibility for your families. You have to learn to serve. You have to learn to listen. You have to learn to honor but you also, I am going to hold you to account for when there are critical things that you have to decide as a family and you are at an impasse and you must move forward. I will answer from you, what did you do? Right? And men, if you're, again, in a Christian marriage, your wife is saying, you know what? I'm, saying, I'm giving vows to you because I trust you. And my goodness, if, if a woman says that to you guys, you honor her. That is a profound thing. That is an absolutely, for, for any person to say that to you, right? But in, in the context of work, you hire an employee, maybe they're just for a paycheck, but they're like, yeah, I'm going to trust that you'll do right by me. And if you don't, I'm on to the next place, or I might be on to the next place anyway, because they have better stock options. But in a marriage, it's no, for a life, I will trust you to lead when there's an impasse. I will trust you in those things. That is Christian marriage. And my goodness, brothers, if a woman says that to you, she has, from my perspective, she has all the respect in the world. Because that is, a, that is an extremely vulnerable thing to do. And that, I believe, is what Peter is saying. If you read the context of 1 Peter 3, 1 and following, right? She's saying, I will put myself in a position of weakness because I will trust you, right? Just like anyone who, 
it, it says to, to anyone in life, I will trust you to lead me, but this is the most profound expression of it. And therefore, the answer is, right, the way that you lead people in every case is you honor them. Right? And it's, you know, it's interesting, like, I think about this from a leadership perspective, so much of leading people well is knowing them, and as you know them, honoring them. That's like most of what I did in pastoring. I just figured out who people were, and then I, like, just talked about how, like, impressive they are, right? That's not hard, you know, and by the way, this is a really practical thing in marriage, and this works both ways, right? It's dressed towards the men in particular, but it works both ways. I want to give you a really practical thing to make your marriage a little bit better today, Find something about your spouse that you haven't honored in the last six months and just honor them. Just be like, hey, you know what? I just want to point out that, like, you do this really well, and I really appreciate it. Just, I dare you to try it today. I dare you to. One of very simple marriage improvements for you is try doing a little more honoring. You know, our passage for confession said outdo one another in showing honor. I, I challenge you to go do this. And by the way, if you're going to have to, if you're going to have to make a tough decision, guys, right? Like if you're going to have, there's an impasse, like we are at an impasse and, and a decision to just stay at an impasse is a decision. So therefore, like we're going to, we're going to make a decision no matter what. If you're going to earn the kind of trust that is absolutely required to lead in those times, one of the ways you do is someone says, I feel known by you and I feel honored and cherished by you. I feel like you totally get what I think. I feel that you get why I think it. I feel like you've really, you really value it. I feel like you, you are in agony over the fact that we disagree. But at the end of the day, like God has commanded you to lead faithfully. And therefore, I will trust you in that. But, but friends, you know, again, like in, in healthy organizations, that happens maybe like 2% of the time, maybe 1% of the time. It doesn't, if it's happening like 20% of the time, like you have huge problems, right? Like if you have to like, like if you're a session that's like constantly divided, like, you know, brothers, like that's, that's like a little bit of a problem, right? You know, if you're in a marriage where that's constantly happening, like that's a problem, you know, but there will come times, 2% of the time, maybe 1%, where you're at an impasse and... You have to move forward. God requires leadership to work in that way. The way that it works is when there is knowledge and honoring. And then here's the last thing. So I've gone way too long. Sorry about that. Used to not go long. Uh, the last thing that I want to point out to you is that in a Christian marriage, that what is at stake, not just your happiness, right, which I'm really interested in, but what's at stake? Answer your prayers. Right? He says, do these things why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. And basically saying like, hey, if you don't get this, if you don't practice this, like dudes, if you don't, if you don't understand what your wife is thinking, feeling, like you're just like, oh, I don't have time for that. You know, you just like put posting the memes on X, right? Um, all that stuff, uh, whatever, just, you know, uh, just, I don't know, right? Your prayers will be hindered right? God, it, it messes with your relationship with God. It messes with your family's vitality with God, right? But if you practice these things, if you say, you know what, I'm going to know you, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to treasure you, I'm going to think deeply about what you think, right? And then we're going to go to God together as a unified body, 
God says, oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to put your prayers at the top of the list, and I'm going to bless you. And you know, um, we're going to move to the Lord's table now, and I'm sorry that I went late, apologize for that. Um, you can make it six months next time for me to come back. That's um, okay. But you know, it's, it's just beautiful. In Philippians chapter two, you know, it, it gives us this picture. It says, the Lord Jesus did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. He was absolutely equal with God. He said, I'm going to submit to God's leadership, even though it's going to cost me everything that I have. Right? He's, Jesus is the one saying, I'm going to honor my father by saying, yes, I will go and I will give up everything I treasure, even for someone as like worthless as Darren, even as someone who's failed as many times as I failed, even someone who's committed the kinds of sins that I've committed even this year, kinds of like negligences I have, the kinds of weaknesses I have, Jesus Christ looked my life, and he said, you know what? I'm going to give up a qual. I'm going to give up my position in heaven to come and to serve you, to absorb your sins, to absorb your failures, to absorb the times you didn't lead well, to absorb the time that you, that you, ref- you know, refused to follow. All these things, all of your problems, all of your sins, all of your dysfunctions, Jesus says, I'm going to absorb them. What does God do? He says, therefore, Christ has been exalted. God honors Christ. Do you see see this passage playing out? He says, you know what? Jesus Christ, you have have come to the world to do these things, and now he's like, I'm going to honor you, and to what extent am I going to honor you? You are the name above every name. There's no name that's higher. He is exalted all the way above all all creation. There is no one honored more than him. And it's a beautiful playing out. So friends, as we come to this table, what I hope you see and taste in this is I hope you see the Lord Jesus saying, I did it for you. I would do it again. And God is so pleased with him. So let me pray for you. Father God, we do praise you. We do worship you. And God, I pray that you would that you would renew our lives, that you would transform us uh, at this table. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.